My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Matthew 27, 46. I'm not sure what to call the lesson this morning. Any of those song titles that we were just involved in singing. Burdens are lifted at Calvary will be coming up in a few moments. Jesus, keep me near the cross is another appropriate title. Just simply saying, my God, my God, will be an appropriate title for our lesson this morning. At the cross, at the cross, where my Savior died. I like that little phrase there in that song, at the cross, at the cross, my Savior did believe for me. I like the phrase, where I first saw the light, We don't begin to see the light of God at the cross, we'll never see it. If after reading and studying such phrases as what we will be involved in this morning, if that doesn't melt me, if that doesn't turn me inside out, If this doesn't inspire me to give every ounce of my energy to the Lord, as long as I have breath left, then nothing ever will. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? We will see five matters. For me, this particular phrase, I go to it, more than once a year, but this phrase brings me back to where I should be in my thoughts, in my habits, in my mind, before my God. So if you'll just excuse me this morning, I'm going to just dive into this because it helps me, and I pray it'll help you as well. We see five matters from this great statement. From Jesus on the cross. First we see Christ's incredible respect for the word of God. His incredible respect for the word of God. This question that Jesus asked is actually taken from Psalm 22 verse 1. And Jesus knows all about it. That psalm is completely what we call messianic. It's completely all about Jesus coming. Complete prophecy of Jesus coming, Psalm 22. There in that great psalm you'll find phrases about the rejection of Jesus by mankind. You'll find phrases about the brutal treatment of Jesus on the cross. You'll find statements about Jesus praying to God to deliver him. You'll see statements in Psalm 22 about Jesus praising the Lord and thanking him for that deliverance, but notice how Jesus respects the Word of God, not just here, but all through His life on earth. We remember when Jesus was meeting Satan in the wilderness, He kept going back to the book of Deuteronomy and saying to Satan such things as, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and Him only shalt thou serve. Jesus, when He was asked about marriage and divorce, He said in Matthew 19, 3, Have you not read that he who made them in the beginning and so forth. Jesus has a tremendous respect 
He showed that while he was on earth for the word of God. But stay with me on this. Notice that Jesus is going to be, he's on the cross for six agonizing hours. So agonizing it is impossible to bring words to describe it. The first three hours in broad daylight. The last three hours in total darkness. Can you imagine? But notice Jesus is the one undergoing the brutality. Yet he is able to recall scripture. We glance over to John nineteen twenty eight. Jesus there also pictured on the cross. He's on the cross. John nineteen twenty eight. And in his mind, he says, now that all things have been finished, finished, and Jesus in his mind says, in order to fulfill scripture, I'm going to say this. And he says, I thirst. And Jesus there on the cross is thinking of Psalm 69, 21, as there is a prophecy there of Jesus desiring thirst as he dies on the cross. How is it that my Lord was able to recall scripture in the failing moments of his physical life? How could he do that? Praise to him for doing that and challenge to me for being so lackadaisical in my study of the Bible. What is praise to the Lord is a challenge to us. While we can barely get through 30 minutes of a few Old Testament events of Scripture on a Sunday night. We can't hardly bear through that, much less noticing how our Lord, being brutally beaten and tortured on the cross for six hours, can sit there and, or hang there and have a Bible study between Him and God. I can hardly tear myself away from Netflix or tear myself away from all the things that are so enjoyable in life to make myself get into Scripture. And there our Lord is doing it in the failing moments of His physical life. First, see, if you will, Jesus' complete respect for the Word of God. Secondly, this morning as we notice this phrase, Jesus on the cross, he says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? In the second place, notice Jesus' personal passion to do the will of God. Notice his, his personal passion to do the will of the Father. Now you'll notice in your, in your Bible, Mark 15, Matthew 27, that as Jesus says these words, he's not saying in the tone that I'm saying it. It says he said it with a loud voice. My God, my God. Everybody heard it. It was a sense of tremendous passion coming from the lips of our Lord. The critics of Jesus, and they have been around, 
They like to look for things to discredit our Lord. The critics say, well, here you have Jesus failing in his faith. Here you have Jesus um, having a breach in his faith. He's, he's breaking down. He's losing it. He's confused. Isn't it interesting how the critics of Jesus know the least about Jesus? Notice, first of all, the personal aspect of the Lord here. He says, my God, my God. Have you ever noticed that when Jesus addressed God from earth, when he was on earth, he never included anybody else in that address? Now, yeah, he did teach us in Matthew 6 and verse 9 that as we pray, we are to pray our Father who is in heaven. But Jesus never said our Father. Jesus was always personal and singular. Now, why was that? Why is that? Because no one else rises to the level of closeness and being intimate with the Father as does Jesus. We remember that John 20 and verse 17 when, when Jesus was now raised from the dead and he's talking to Mary Magdalene. He says to her, don't cling to me, don't cling to me. I've not yet ascended to the Father, but you go tell the brethren, go tell the brethren I am ascending, notice this, John 20, 17. I am ascending to my Father and your Father. I am ascending to my God, my God and your God. Showing a very clear distinction there between our relationship to the Father through Jesus and the Lord's relationship directly with the Father. For Jesus, this is a very personal, it's a very crucial moment in history. He knows it. It's a very personal moment also for Jesus and the Father. And notice the repetition here, my God, my God. This is not Jesus having a fit. This is Jesus' way of showing his intensity. We have a couple of illustrations of that. You remember Luke 22, 30 and 31 when he was talking to Peter and he says, Simon, Simon, something's up here. Simon, Simon, Satan has desired to have you that he may sift you like wheat. When they would sift wheat in those days, they were looking for the good and the bad and keeping the good and tossing away and burning the, the husk. Well, Satan is looking for our weaknesses so that he can exploit them and cause us one day to burn like husk. Christ is very concerned about this. So he says, Simon, Simon, Satan has desired to have you, but I have prayed for you, Simon. I'm praying for you. You remember in Luke 10, 38 through 42, Jesus in that home in Bethany, he said to Martha, Martha, Martha. Mary was doing the reasonable thing there, making the wise choice of sitting down and listening to Jesus while, he, while she had the opportunity. Martha was about cleaning the house and making preparations of the house. Jesus said, Martha, Martha, thou art anxious and troubled about many things. 
Mary has chosen the good part, which will never be taken away from her. This is Jesus' way of showing intensity. When he says, my God, my God, we are seeing Jesus in a deep state of passion. And Jesus is expressing his intense determination to do the will of God, even though this is very difficult. He's expressing his intense determination. You ever heard that word? Determination to do the will of God and also at the same time trust totally in the care of the Father at that time. My God, my God. What is praise to Jesus is a challenge to us. Where are we at on this two, these two words, personal passion? Is the Lord personal? I mean, do I walk, do you walk one-on-one on one with the Lord? Did you know that's what the church is? I think we get this confused. I know we do. I know we do. Somehow we feel that we get our relationship through being at church. That's not what the church is. The church is comprised of people who have established a personal walk with God. And we come together to edify and worship God together. But first and foremost is that that personal walk with God. We're reminded of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. Can you say that? I mean truly in your life the Lord is my shepherd. Is it the case that no matter what anyone else says, no matter what anyone else does, even those closest to you, that you will still be a sheep of the shepherd? That there is, For me, there's not a single thing any one of you could say that would get me off the path of following my God. There's not anyone in my family, there's not anyone in the world that could ever say something to me to where I would say, okay, that's it, I'm not going to be a Christian. If, if that is your stance in life, then go back and think again. It is to be a personal walk. He is my shepherd. No matter what you do, no matter what the world does, He's still my shepherd. That'll never be taken away. What about our intensity for doing the will of God? Jesus was not going to let this pain and suffering keep him from fulfilling what he needed to do on the cross. What does passion look like for us today? It's not hard to see. Where do we... Spend our time, what do we spend our time doing? Where do we spend our money? What is, what is our habits? What comes out of our mouth? What is our character? All summed up, am I passionate for my God? In the third place, from this statement, really this question, Jesus says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me. We see here God giving His Son for us. We see God giving 
his son for us. I want us to drill in on this word forsake. Forsake. And I want us, I want us to jump to the all-powerful God for a moment. Did you know that God is so sovereign? Did you know that God is so in control of everything happening, all details, all history at the same time, that he can be said to actively do something when he is merely allowing something or permitting something to be done? I want us to underscore that. Oftentimes God is said to do something where he is simply allowing it to be done. Let me give you a couple of illustrations. Jeremiah 4 verse 10. Jeremiah 4 verse 10. The prophet says, Lord, you have greatly deceived this people. Jeremiah 4 verse 10. Lord, you have greatly deceived this people. How strange that sounds. The Lord deceiving someone? Well, yes and no. The actuality there is, the reality is, in Jeremiah's day, God's own people, Judah, had determined they were not going to listen to Jeremiah and the other faithful prophets any longer. They didn't want to hear this about a threat of Babylonian captivity. They were headlong into serving and worshiping idols. They were all embraced and in favor of the false prophets of those days. And God was simply saying to them, if this is going to be your choice of conduct, I'm not going to stand in your way. So God is said to actually do something that he just allowed to be done. He allowed them to be deceived. In Ezekiel chapter 20 verse 25, the prophet there says, God has given us commandments that are not good. Same idea there. The people had decided that they were going to listen to commandments of other people. They were going to make those commandments of other people. Not the prophets. Not the prophets. They were going to make commandments of people instead of commandments of God their bread in life. And they were going to put their hope in man. These commandments from man are not good. But God has said to give them these commandments that are not good. Well, what that actually is saying is the people being so determined to listen to man instead of God. God says to them, I'm not going to stand in your way. I will allow you to make the choices of your own being. And so in that sense, God has said to do something that he merely allowed to be done. 2 Thessalonians 2, 10 through 12 speaks of God sending forth a working of error that they may believe a lie. But if you look there in 2 Thessalonians 2, 10 through 12, the people of Paul's day did not have the love of the truth in their hearts so that they could believe the truth and be saved. Under those people, God is said to send forth a working of error that they may believe a delusion, that they may be deluded. Not that God directly sends a working of error, but if this is going to be their choice in life, if they had rather not love the truth and love error, then again, God is not going to stand in the way. He's not going to jump in. 
He's going to allow them to follow the course of their choices. And so here we come to the cross. Jesus asked the question, Why have you forsaken me, Lord? It's not that God turned his back on Jesus. It's not that God was unconcerned about his son. But the case was, God was allowing his son Jesus to undergo the full force of suffering that he needed to undergo in order to save mankind. God was not going to step in. He was not going to intervene. He was was not going to stop what was taking place. And so God, in forsaking Jesus, yes and no. No, not really, really, but yes, He is said to forsake Him in the sense that He's merely allowing something to be done that needed to be done. And folks, that's the love of God. For Him to be able to observe and watch and allow His Son. Could God have intervened? Yes. Could He have stepped in and stopped it? Yes. But if He had, we would be goners. We would have absolutely no hope, no chance whatsoever of any sort of spiritual life. We would be goners. But He did not. And so we see here, Jesus is being given. The Lord Father is giving His Son. That's what we're seeing in this question. And it reminds us, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. It reminds us, Romans eight thirty two. He spared not His own Son, but freely gave Him up for us all. It reminds us, Romans 5, verse 8, God commends His own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It reminds us, 1 John 4, 9 and 10, herein is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and gave His Son, sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Stay with me on this forsake. And in the fourth place, notice... That God does deliver His Son. I'm going to ask you to look at Hebrews 5 and verse 7 for this idea. But in the fourth place, as we notice Jesus on the cross, He's asking the question, Why hast thou forsaken me? Notice that in reality, God does deliver His Son. He is delivered. Hebrews Five verse seven. Is that the one that says, with great prayers and supplications, with great tears, strong, loud tears? Are you shaking your head? Yes. Just for a moment there, it left me. I started having some doubts. I'm thinking, is that ten five? Is that ten seven? Is that 11.8? 
but it's, it is Hebrews 5, verse 7. Notice it carefully. With many prayers and supplications and with loud cries and tears unto him who is able to deliver him from or out of death. Jesus was heard, underline that, he was heard. God heard him due to his godly reverence. God heard him. Notice that he was able to deliver him out of death through the resurrection. He delivered him out of death. He heard his prayer. And I asked myself, do I want to be delivered today? Do I want to get out of bad habits? Do I want to? I really want to be on fire for the Lord. It's going to take what Jesus explains. It's going to take the example of Jesus in my life and in yours. Notice Jesus didn't say a simple little prayer. Notice with many prayers and supplications, S, and also with loud crying and tears, S, Jesus prayed to him who was able to deliver And he was heard because of his reverence to God. If I don't have a meaningful and I mean a passionate prayer life, then there's a a dimension missing in my life. There's something missing in my life. If, If I'm not close to God, it's probably because I'm not in his word and I'm not passionately praying to him. Finally, this morning, I want us to see the deep, deep love that Jesus has for us. We keep talking here between the Father and Son because that's the way it's explained to us. That's that's the way it is. So I can talk to you about God giving His Son. And I can also talk to you, or you can read for yourself, about Jesus' deep, deep love for us. Why did Jesus ask why? Why did Jesus ask why? Three letter word, why? Why would the Lord ask why? Did he not know that the cross was coming? Of course he did long, early in his earthly ministry, John 2, 19 to 21. Remember Jesus saying, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Notice he said, I will raise it up. He's talking about the temple of his body. John explains that for us. Now, the Jewish leaders didn't understand that at his time, but the the disciples, the apostles would remember it later. Jesus, early on, he knew the cross was coming. Matthew 16, 21, later on, Jesus knew the cross was coming. He knew. He would tell people. He would tell Peter. And this, you know, Peter Peter would say, Lord, this is never going to, we're never going to allow this to happen to you. And that was that was right after Jesus said, look, I've got to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer at their hands, at the hands of the elders and the scribes and the, and, and the chief priests. I'm going to suffer at their hands. I'm going to be killed. I'm going to be raised on the third day. Peter said, no, Lord, we're not going to let that happen to you. Never. So it wasn't the case that Jesus didn't know. It certainly wasn't the case that Jesus was shocked or that he was surprised by the cross whatsoever was okay so why did he ask why why did he ask why 
Remember that sometimes Jesus would use his miraculous power, sometimes he wouldn't. Usually he just went across the Sea of Galilee on, on a, in a boat. But there was one time where he walked on the waves. The Lord walked on the waves. Jesus was fully able to read people's thoughts and minds, John 2, 24, 25. But other times, like in Matthew 8, verse 10, when the uh, centurion showed such great faith, he said, it says there that he marveled at it, at his faith. And he said, I've not found such faith like this. No, not even in Israel I've not found such great faith. It's very obvious that Jesus would sometimes use his supernatural power. Sometimes he would draw back and allow himself to be surprised or to be shocked. So we come to the cross. Why? Why? Let's remember that sometimes when we suffer or we have challenges, we don't understand why. And I wonder, is this a situation where Jesus decided because he wanted to experience the full range of human suffering? Is this a case where Jesus said, I'm going to pull the veil over my mind for a few, for a little while so that I can be completely human here on this cross. And I can ask, so that he would ask why. And if this is the case, then it shows us just how compassionate. It shows us what a sympathizing compassion the Lord has for us. That he would not use his supernatural abilities on the cross, not even let his mind go there, but rather he would let himself be completely human so that he could experience exactly what a human would experience on the earth. And yet all of that for us to be able to read and contemplate today. Now folks, if that doesn't turn your heart, I don't know what will. I'm lost. I'm lost to know. As we sing our song here in just a second, burdens are lifted at Calvary. Will you let these thoughts ricochet right back into your own heart? Remember 9 a.m. to 3 p.m., six hours. Those six hours of agony are equal to the punishment due to every single one of us and everyone else who is living and everyone else who has ever lived. At the cross, I first saw the light. Would you come this morning as we stand, as we sing?